You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with Fullscript, an online dispensing platform that only offers curated professional-grade brands that I know and trust. The very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to start your free Fullscript account. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA compliant and offers world-class support. Fullscript also gives you access to my custom targeted supplement protocols that combine the products that I recommend to address specific needs, heart health, immune support, and much more. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll get access to the supplements and features you need to help you achieve your wellness goals. That's DearHoffmanStore.com. DearHoffmanStore.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We're talking about uh, a book entitled Boost Your Brain, The New Art and Science Behind Enhanced Brain Performance. With us uh, today is neuroscientist uh, Majid Fotuhi, MD, PhD. Uh, he uh, is someone who has been studying the brain uh, for decades uh, he's given lectures at academic centers, uh, published uh, more than 20 peer-reviewed scientific uh, papers and three books. He's got a new paper out just this year entitled Benefits of a 12-Week Non-Drug, quote, Brain Fitness Program for Patients with Attention Deficit, Hyperactivity Disorder, Post-Concussion Syndrome, or Memory Loss. And uh, Dr. Fatui, I-, I wanted to just start uh, by mentioning that uh, I have read studies, you know, there's a lot of uh, programs that are advertised uh, on the Internet and, you know, even on TV from time to time, uh, magazines that are, are brain training programs and, you know, their products, you know, puzzles and things that people can do uh, to keep their cognition sharp. Uh, but actually, uh, some of the research on these programs suggests that maybe just maybe they don't do that much that, you know, it might be a good idea to exercise, as you mentioned in part one, that that's a tried and true method of enhancing brain function or preserving it. But uh, these, you know, puzzles, Sudoku, etc., not so dramatic. So in the face of that, how is it that you uh, devised a program that uniquely uh, is successful when others are not? Yes. And that goes back to, you know, being in the field for 30 years and sort of learning why some things work and why some things don't work. So there are a few things to, to explain, to, to put the, the findings of why brain training fail in some studies and are good in other studies. Number one is, in the scope of things, exercise has a much larger effect size. Exercise is a lot more effective than brain training. Exercise literally grows new neurons, increases blood flow to different parts of the brain, increases synapses, increases connectivity. So I'm just amazed on the powerful benefits of physical exercise for brain health and vitality. Now, brain training is good, but not as powerful as physical exercise. That's number one. Number two uh, uh, is the reason studies have failed to see any benefit or some benefit, modest benefit with brain training is because you need to train the 
cognitive domain that the patient has difficulty with and then measure the improvement in that cognitive domain. So let's just go to physiology. Let's say I work with you on improving your biceps and I ask you how fast you run. Well, you work on your biceps and it will not gonna, it's not going to show on how fast you run. And a lot of studies, you know, they say, okay, why don't you go do Sudoku and then here we do our cognitive testing and we measure your memory. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, you worked on growing one part of the brain, but you're testing them on a different part of the brain. So it's apples okay, and so oranges. Yeah. So, so the reason you, it's not that there was no improvement, you failed to catch improvement because the way the study was designed mm-hmm. and it makes perfect intuitive sense once you look at it that way and that's why the ones who did uh, you know, work on specific cognitive domain and then tested people on that cognitive domain saw the results whereas those who just did some brain training and measure for example for rate of dementia you know doing crossword puzzles uh, in some studies showed it reduces dementia and some studies showed it doesn't well crossword puzzles do not improve learning new things. Uh, crossword puzzles rely on you remembering the things you already knew. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously you did not grow new neurons or synapses in the part of the brain for learning new things. Mm-hmm. And that's the part of the brain that the hippocampus uh, plays a role in and that's the part of the brain that shrinks. So you're, you know, crossword puzzles are helpful for, um, brain training and then sort of attention and focus and recall of old things, but they do not help with remembering new things. And so that's the reason there is discrepancy between different studies. So if you consider those uh, points of view, the fact that in general, brain training may improve someone's cognitive domains uh, by let's say seven to 10%, whereas exercise will improve all of cortex and hippocampus by, let's say, 30%. And so what I did in my program, I combined the exercise with brain training and with biofeedback, which I'll explain in a minute. The other thing we did in terms of cortex brain training is that we ask our patients, what is it that bothers you? For some people, is the memory names. For other people, it's the fact that they're slow in thinking and... Uh, doing the things they used to do. For example, you know, it takes them a little longer to calculate the tip in the restaurant, or it takes them a little longer to memorize a list of words. Or, you know, so with those patients, we worked on processing speed. We gave them tasks that required them to become a little faster. So, so I'm, I'm getting that this, this is not a one-size-fits-all program, that it actually exactly. you do a little bit of a diagnostic workup to ascertain... Uh, where the deficits are, and then you tailor the exercises to uh, what a person's uh, weak suit might be. Yes, we do a comprehensive assessment at the beginning of the program because, you know, some people have sleep apnea and sedentary lifestyle, and that's why their brain is shrinking. Another person may have anxiety and insomnia, and that's why their brain is shrinking. Another person may have depression or vitamin deficiency, and that's why they're brain shrinking. And uh, some person uh, may have all of them. So at the beginning of the program, people will undergo 
extensive evaluation with more than 100 questions to ask about diet, exercise, sleep, uh, daily routine, what things they enjoy or don't enjoy, hobbies, relationships. We, we really obtain detailed information and then tailored the program to their specific needs. So the structure of the program was 12 weeks, twice a week. But what happened to them in those brain training and uh, brain coaching that they got was tailored to their to specific needs. So patients who had memory problems, we did brain training. The majority of our patients who had memory problems learned how to memorize a list of 100 words. One of the things that happens with people as they grow older, they say, well, I am 65 years old. What do you expect? They don't challenge themselves. And they assume they cannot memorize 100 words. They don't even try. So we got all our patients uh, brain training for for remembering, memorizing a list of 100 words. And so many of them said, Dr. Patui, it's not going to happen. I don't mean to disappoint you, but I'm not going to be able to do that. But we had a program for it. We had a protocol for it. They would memorize five words one day, 10 words the other day. And every week we added five or 10 words. And at 12 weeks, you know, everyone, I mean, I can't think of anyone who did not memorize 100 words. I'm not even sure that I could, you know, I would feel a little pessimistic about my ability to to do that. If you just hit me with that cold. Yes, I'll promise you a thousand percent, uh, that you will memorize this. And if you're interested after this podcast, I'll show you how to do it. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, one of the faces I had, I never forget, was this this obese gentleman. He's a big guy. Um, and I said, sir, I promise you uh, that you will memorize 100 words. And he said, Dr. Fatui, I promise you I won't. <laughs> and I'll $100 if I will. I didn't <laughs> say, you don't have to pay me. Uh, and then uh, one day I was seeing a patient and he knocked on the door. I said, Dr. Fatui, can I enter one second? I said, listen, I'm with the patient. He said, no, 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 one second. He came and he put a $100 bill on my desk. He said, Dr. Fatui, I don't know how I did it but I have memorized 100 words. And this was the most common thing that happened. 95% of people say, I can't do it. And all of them, all of them, all of them did. Wow. Uh, and it's because people assume they can't do it. They don't even try. Yeah. So what we did with brain training was the same thing we did with lifestyle modification. Some people needed meditation because they had a lot of stress. Some people had obesity-centered lifestyle. And our brain coaches were like um, cheerleaders to get them to get off the couch for five minutes and for 10 minutes for 15 minutes and so forth. So we tailored the program to the specific needs of the patient. If the patient already was calm and relaxed and the problem was really diabetes and obesity, then we didn't, you know, teach them meditation. We just worked on and getting them to become more fit. We had a nutritionist, we had an exercise physiologist who worked with them. And I think the thing that was important for the success of our program is that when I met with the patients the first visit, I would spend an hour with them, learn all about them, review all test results, and I would say to them, listen, I promise you'll be much better because we've done this for thousands of patients and pretty much everybody has improved. Yes, occasionally, occasionally, <laughs> I would have someone who had early onset Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. But that would be the number of patients where like, you know, I could do a few or 10. Because early onset Alzheimer's disease is not common. It's the late life cognitive decline that's common. Yes. And, and that 
the reason for cognitive decline with aging is multifactorial. Mm-hmm. We talked about insomnia, sleep apnea, obesity, smoking, diabetes, stress, depression. All of those things chip away on the brain. Right. But it's, it's not even considered uh, pathological. It actually has an acronym, A-R-M-I, Army, Age-Related Memory Impairment. And it's thought to be a physiological, not you know pathological. It's not even a disease state. It's just natural. It's like, you know, acne in a teenager or, you know, hair graying and hair loss. It, that's the way it is. But actually, we can demonstrate that it doesn't have to be inevitable. Yes. You know, I was teaching today. And I was showing a slide to my students, and we talked about, actually today's lecture was about insomnia and, you know, how it, the amount of sleep that's required changes throughout life so that a one-year-old needs 15 hours, and then, you know, a nine-year-old needs 12 hours, and a teenager needs eight to 10 hours. And they showed p- sort of pictures of people different ages, and the picture they had for someone who was 70 to 80 years old was someone who was sort of slouched forward, frail, with a, you know, with a cane. Yeah. And I, I thought, that's a mistake. You're implying that by the time you get to the 70s and 80s, you're going to be frail and you yeah. use a cane. And that is not the case, and it should not be the case. And, and we're so, almost training uh, our, our health professionals in a sort yeah. of a fatalism and an ageism uh, that uh, will lead them to be less... Uh, less good clinicians, uh, especially since the majority of people that they're going to be treating are older, especially in fields like neurology, internal medicine, and so on. Yes. You know, I was uh, in Amsterdam in July, and I tell you, in that part of Europe, uh, I can env- I can see what I envision for what will be the case in the United States, hopefully 20 years from now. You know, uh, older adults were biking and running and engaged and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you look at them and you know this person in their 80s, but they were not failed. They're strong. They yep. looked like in their 80s, but they were having normal conversations. They were biking. They were running. They were working. And I think that's going to happen in our country as well. That, you know, as the message that we can improve our brain function at any age. The fact that we can grow our brain will catch on to the society at large. And that's what I'm trying to do with writing books and giving lectures to really make people appreciate this important concept that you just mentioned, that we, we're implying to people ageism, that, you know, it is what it is. You're seven years old. What do you expect? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that is... That is probably the biggest obstacle for reducing the burden of Alzheimer's disease in this country. Because what we call Alzheimer's in people in their 80s is a combination of um, different things shrinking the brain. Insomnia, sleep apnea, obesity, diabetes, um, stress, depression, all have uh, contributed to brain atrophy. And, and because they can't function and they have lost memory, ability to remember things, we call them as having Alzheimer's. But the brain is a super problem, and Alzheimer's is just one part of it. Too much amyloid, too much tau, it's just part of it. Right. And these other things should, they're not Alzheimer's, they are, you know, what has happened because of lifestyle choices. And those other things are reversible. And so we need to tell people that you get your 80, you should expect to be sharp and strong. Maybe you forget names, maybe there's some subtle changes. 
but don't expect and don't accept mm-hmm. that you'll be slow and forgetful and demented in your 80s. Yeah, otherwise we, we lower our expectations. We almost create, a, a instead of a placebo effect, a nocebo effect where we uh, almost uh, program people to feel that they're debilitated. Uh, I wanted to come back to the subject of nutrition because we talked earlier about nutrition. You mentioned, you know, obviously avoiding highly processed foods, avoiding junk, avoiding trans fats, uh, you know, having adequate fiber, you know, variety and so on. Uh, but I wonder if in your program there's a place for targeted nutrition, uh, assessing, say, vitamin B12 levels, vitamin D levels, uh, supplementing with, say, essential fatty acids or things like that because of their proven potential to support brain function. Yes. So the part of the initial assessment for our patients, everybody had blood tests. Unless they had a blood test in like three, six months, I will repeat and obtain blood tests and check for B12, vitamin D. I will also check for inflammation. And obviously, I'll do check for, you know, CBC, CMP to check for anemia or, you know, other. Well, iron could be a problem too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I did do that. And again, I think our program was so amazingly successful because I combined everything I had learned in the past 30 years into one program. So I know that B12 is so important for all aspects of brain function. B12 is important for formation of myelin. B12 is important for the health of the nerve. B12 is important for improved the cardiac function. So if someone has B12 deficiency, that could be 40% of why they cannot function well. So B12, vitamin D were two most common vitamin deficiencies found, followed by iron deficiency anemia. Now, the diet that we recommended to our patients were uh, mostly a Mediterranean diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I think vegetarian is great. I think I think it's great to be vegetarian. But I personally actually enjoy having a piece of fish, and I do have a piece of steak. You know, once a week maybe. Um, so I think Mediterranean diet is a very reasonable diet, and it's diet that has the most data with regard to a reduction brain shrinkage, reduction risk of dementia. And so we promote eating salmon and you know taking olive oil, eating avocados, stay away from trans fats and eat the quote unquote good fat and you know fruits and vegetables. Um, it's very close to what's called the, the MIND diet uh, that was yes. studied in the UK Biobank, one of the largest uh, studies uh, ever undertaken, where they looked at uh, the impact of that diet on on, on you know, brain deterioration, dementia, as well as depression. So, yeah. Yeah. See, the thing is, this is another, another concept that, I talk about in my lectures and I cover my book and I teach my students is that we put labels on people. You know, uh, when a person with, let's say somebody is 65 years old, they're tired, they're not in the mood to do things, the sleep is fragmented, um, they're not doing well in their job. And, you know, people say, well, you're in the 60s. What do you expect? So you're tired. And somebody says, well, it looks like you have depression. But, if you do a study on them, you'll see that probably that person had sleep apnea. And the reason they're not paying attention is because that's what happens with sleep apnea. People mm-hmm. feel groggy and foggy during the day, and they 
have no energy, they appear apathetic. And so <coughs> their apathy is not due to depression. Their apathy is a manifest- manifestation of their sleep apnea, which is in, in turn due to their obesity and sedentary lifestyle. And unfortunately, what happens to a patient like that is they go see a doctor and, you know, they say doctors are busy. They say it looks like you're depressed. He has antidepressants. One of the most common side effects of antidepressants is weight gain. And of course, this patient would take the antidepressants and they were not depressed. They had apathy because of, you know, lack of oxygen to their brain. And the medicine is not going to make them become cheerful. If anything, it increases their uh, weight and their obesity gets worse and their sleep apnea gets worse and they're worse. So they go back to your doctor and the doctor says, look, Looks like, you know, we need to increase the dose of your antidepressants. It hadn't worked. So unfortunately, that person goes down the drain because the mm-hmm. higher dosages are going to cause more sleep apnea and, and the vicious cycle. And I think it happened to a patient like that is they go see a doctor and they say, yeah, I'm forgetful. I forget things. Um, you know, I, I took a wrong turn coming home. And the doctor says, well, it looks like you know, you don't have anything else and you do have a grandmother with Alzheimer's disease, this looks like Alzheimer's disease. And unfortunately, that person gets labeled as having Alzheimer's disease, which is even worse than the diagnosis of depression. I think we need to sort of have a diagnostic criteria where we talk about what we see. Like we see somebody has cognitive impairment, cognitive decline, and then we have to have a you know, differential diagnosis as to why somebody has a cognitive decline. We're looking at root causes rather than simply labeling like a taxonomy of disease, which is what we fall into. I wanted to get into the practical aspects of this because some people may be saying, well, great, you know, if I read your book, Boost Your Brain, will it give me exercises that I can do and little by little I can uh, improve my brain function, maybe grow my hippocampus? Or does it require uh, expert uh, one-on-one uh, first of all, diagnostics and then uh, uh, training with, uh, you know, some of the staff that you uh, have in your in your practice uh, or in your lab uh, where people get very customized training regimens. You know, it's like in anything else. If you have a coach, uh, you will do better if somebody is monitoring you and giving you feedback on how you're doing. Uh, you will have better results. But everything we talk about is common sense. You know, the thing about my program is actually common sense. You know, don't eat bad food. Sleep. Don't stress. You know, challenge yourself. I mean, these are the things that people have heard many times. The, the reason our program was successful is that we looked at all those things and addressed them all at once. In my book, I do have charts that patients can actually take to their doctor and say, look, I want this blood test mm-hmm. and I want these evaluations. Hearing evaluation, for example, vision evaluation are important things because they can be contributing to someone's right. um, decline. Mm-hmm. So the short answer, um, I don't want to promote my book. I mean, a lot of information are freely available on the website and a lot of recommendations I have is on my website, drpt.com. Um but there, there is a lot of information in the book. But everything I just told you are things that are readily available. And what I recommend is that if, if somebody is in their midlife and they have a spouse, that person and their spouse can work together as a team. 
you know, I do have a free brain fitness calculator on my website. Oh, if you go to Dr. Yeah. there is a section called brain, for, brain Portfolio, and under that, there's a free questionnaire called uh, Brain Fitness Calculator. And Brain Fitness Calculator basically asks you questions about diet, exercise, sleep, your sense of purpose in life, and you talk about that, your attitude, uh, how engaged you are in terms of challenging your brain every day, and it gives you a, um, an idea of which areas you need to focus on. And if you look at your score, then you realize that, you know, you're good about brain activity, but you're not so good at, you know, exercise, then you, you know, it's okay, I'm going to set a goal for myself to improve my fitness by 10% in, in four weeks and by 20% in 12 weeks. So, it is possible to do this, and if you have a partner who works with you, you can definitely achieve these things. The most important thing to me, uh, Dr. Hoffman, is this. You have to know these things work. These interventions are simple but powerful. Unfortunately, we always think that for something to be good, it has to be expensive. It has to involve procedures. It has to involve Right. Medication. One of these Alzheimer's and, drugs that is uh, some of them have been recently approved uh, with, of course, uh, concern over side effects, the need for frequent testing and a price tag of, you know, uh, tens of thousands of dollars per year. Yes. And I would not take those myself because of all the reasons you just said. I think people need to realize that, you know, and I don't blame average person because the you know, average person here is brain training is good for you one day. Brain training is useless for you another day. Omega T fatty acids are good for you one day. Omega T fatty acids are not good for you another day. And they don't have the expertise to understand the nuances of why the results were negative uh, or why the results were positive. Well, I think, I think what I, you have done is you really sort of staked a, a claim to the efficacy of this and demonstrated that it, it can work, but only if administered in a comprehensive way. And I think that's the strength of, of your program. It's not, you know, you're not uh, yeah. focusing uh, laser-like on one or another aspect of brain health. Uh, we really need all the components working together. I wanted to segue a little bit. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, the aging brain, but the title of your uh, research report is Benefits of 12-Week Non-Drug Brain Fitness Program for Patients with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder Post-Concussion Syndrome or Memory Loss. And so uh, in that study, you actually looked at younger individuals who had uh, conditions that caused their performance to decline, and you were actually able to accelerate their uh, recovery. Yeah. So what happened was, um, you know, I put this together program uh, in 2011, and we saw the results, and uh, we we saw the MRI results, which showed the campus had grown, and we were so excited that this program was helping elderly. But as a neurologist, I also had patients that concussion, and many of the patients that I had uh, with persistent concussion syndrome, which is having concussion symptoms for three months or longer, were benefiting. So then I said, well, let's look at this formally, and we did. We did a statistical analysis to see uh, how much uh, patients who have post-concussion syndrome benefited from the program, and we saw very similar results. About 80% of patients improved statistically uh, on objective cognitive testing. So we published that in the Journal of 
brain rehabilitation in 2020. Now, again, being a neurologist, I also had patients who had ADHD, whether they were children, teenagers, or older adults. And, you know, ADHD is also a multifactorial condition. A lot of children or teenagers or young adults who are diagnosed with ADHD have some degree of anxiety, some degree of insomnia, some degree of poor diet. And so addressing those can improve the biology of the brain and should improve in performance. So I did analysis on uh, people with a diagnosis of ADHD, and we found that, again, about 80% of patients improved significantly without giving any medication. Wow. And many of them That's reduced, impressive. if they were at all, they reduced that all. And so the significance of the paper that I published uh, this year, this summer, is that I wanted to see which group benefited the most. So we had patients with memory loss. These are people in the 60s and 70s. We had patients with concussion, which are all age group. And we had patients with ADHD, which were on the younger um, spectrum of ages. And we saw that this program was equally effective. There was no statistical difference on how much any one group improved compared to the other groups. And to me, that means that if you improve the biology of the brain, the cognitive performance improves regardless of what diagnostic label you had. So whether you were diagnosed as having ADHD or memory loss or persistent concussion symptoms, you will benefit from a comprehensive program that's tailored and personalized for you. So your concussion patients often had um, memory problems, cognitive problems, Fatigue, but many of them had sleep issues. And actually, many of them had migraine, post-concussion migraine. Mm -hmm. So as a part of the comprehensive program, I also addressed their migraine, again, with diet, exercise, common sense things. You know, if certain food worse than your migraine, don't eat them and right. so forth. So the so-called so migraine diet, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the the what I'm so proud of, and I'm so thankful for you to sort of bring us to the point where it should make sense to you why this program is important and why improving the biology of the brain will help anybody. Because all of us have something, you know, whether it's some degree of anxiety, some degree of diet that's not perfect, some degree of, you know, memory lapses. We all can improve and boost our brain for real. Mm -hmm. What needs to happen is a baseline assessment, which, you know, the brain fitness calculator is not perfect uh, in the absence of objective cognitive testing, objective MRI, objective blood tests, but it does give you the big picture of which areas need to work on. And so if you work on your weak points, you will perform better in a matter of weeks. And what you need to do is to have faith that this will work. Well, not so let's give people the heads up. You know, on your your website is uh, Dr. Fatuhi, Dr. Fatuhi, spelled F O T U H I dot com. Is that correct? Yeah. And well, the book is Boost Your Brain, and it kind of lays out, you know, uh, in more detail some of the things that we've been talking about today. You can also find the Brain Fitness Calculator at drfatuhi.com. dot com. And I wonder, are you are you just gain, engaged in uh, research and teaching, or uh, do you have an active program that's available to patients? Yes. Yeah, so I was practicing uh, neurology until recently, into January this year, and I decided, you know, I really want to make a difference at a national level. 
you know, I saw hundreds of patients every year, but I only touched the lives of, you know, so many, like 3,000 patients or 5,000 patients, not, you know, millions of patients. And I really uh, enjoy uh, educating the public about this issue. So I have uh, switched from seeing patients to become a public advocate for these things. Um, I give a lot of public lectures. Um, I uh, teach in university. And, you know, I love the opportunity to be on podcasts like yours. And I really hope that in five years from now, uh, more and more people mm-hmm. will believe in the concept that a simple lifestyle modification can have profound improvements uh, effects on the brain. Well, this definitely should be the uh, new paradigm, and I really, really appreciate uh, your work, uh, not just in uh, advocating for this, but also in helping to validate this, because I think that's very, very important, because as people engage in these uh, lifestyle changes and brain training programs, uh, they have to realize that this is uh, based objectively in science. This is not wishful thinking. Uh, and that it can make a huge difference. And of course, uh, statistically, we are really headed for some serious problems if uh, the baby boomer generation of 77 million Americans, uh, a high percentage of them, uh, suffer from uh, really challenging brain conditions, neurological disorders, and dementia. Uh, it's going to be a crisis that uh, we can't simply handle with, uh, you know, even some of the newer so-called breakthrough medications that you know, may take the edge off of this, but uh, really don't address the underlying causes. So congratulations to you, Dr. Fatui. Great stuff. Thank you very much. And I think the key word is paradigm shift. We really need to change the paradigm of what happens with aging and, you know, what you could do to change the trajectory of where you will be in your 70s, 80s. You know, for people in their 30s, 40s, they, re- they need to realize that it's in their hands as to what trajectory they will choose for what will happen to them during the 90s. Indeed. Well, that's very well said. Thank you very, very much for joining us, and uh, congratulations on uh, the acceptance of your uh, research into uh, the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease uh, reports, uh, as well as uh, the introduction of your book, your book uh, entitled Boost Your Brain, The New Art and Science behind enhanced brain performance. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Thank you very much for inviting me again. Likewise. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I want to thank you for listening to the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast app and get new episodes automatically downloaded every weekday. And please give us a rating and review. It truly helps new people discover Intelligent Medicine. The Intelligent Medicine Podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their health care professionals for any such conditions. Finally, please visit drhoffman.com and discover everything Intelligent Medicine has to offer, including frequently updated unbiased health news and fully vetted product and supplement recommendations.